Pastor Doug here from Crossroads. It's great to be with you. I hope that today's message will draw you closer to Jesus. Welcome back to our Red Letter Challenge. We're on day 13 of our church-wide 40-day challenge to put Jesus' words into practice. And together as a church, we're collectively taking this study very seriously. And it's been so great to see how God is moving and what he's doing in our church surrounding this study. And if you're visiting with us today, let me just give you a quick 10-second snapshot of what this is. We're looking at five main actions that Jesus asks his followers to put into practice. Being, forgiving, serving, giving, going. Being, forgiving, serving, giving, going. Being, forgiving, serving, giving, going. Last week, we spent a week of being. And we learned that before we can do anything for God, he invites us to be with him. And to be with God, we can practice the spiritual disciplines of worship, study, Bible reading, prayer, and fasting. One member of my small group last week said, hey, I am going to choose fasting this week. I'm going to deliberately step away from the news because the news, watching the news every morning and every evening was causing him some stress, was frustrating him. So he intentionally stepped away from watching the news, and he would turn on the radio station, a radio station that had no news at all during the morning. He would listen to the the, the radio station that just played music, and at nighttime, he just chose to read a book instead. And I checked in with him on Wednesday. I said, hey, how's it going? How's that fasting from the news going? And he said, Dawn, it's going great. I have just had all these great experiences with God instead of watching the news. And at work that week, he met with his staff and he said, hey, I'm going to challenge you as a staff. I'd like you to take one or two hours a month and intentionally just be with God. And he gave them a book on prayer. I said, you're doing great. Way to go. It was so great to have him be that intentional being with God, being forgiving, serving, giving, going. And this week, we're going to spend a week of forgiveness and looking at what Jesus has to say about forgiveness. And to do that today, I'd like to use this illustration of a chair. Now, this chair came from my home in our basement. It's in our TV room. And this chair gets a lot of use. I sit on this chair. Our company, when they come, sits on this chair. Maybe our dog jumps up and sits on this chair. But I want you to think about this chair as a chair or couch in any one of your homes. So as we look at this couch, it looks pretty good, right? This chair. There's no stains. There's none that I can see. The the cushion, oh, yeah. The cushion is pretty solid, still firm, looks like a pretty good chair. So I wonder, have you ever taken time to flip the cushion and see what's under your good-looking chairs in your home? Well, if you would take time to do that, you might be surprised, right? You might find some cookie crumbs. You might find a dead bug. 
You might want to put on gloves before you do this. You might find a quarter underneath the cushions, just just tucked down in there where nobody would know it's there unless you flipped the cushions. So let's do that today and flip the cushions and just see what might be under the cushion in Dawn and Steve's house. So if I took the cushion and I just kind of went down here a little bit, oh, popcorn. So every night Steve has popcorn. That's a mess. That's underneath our chair. Oh, a tissue. Yep, that's underneath our chair. What a mess. Oh, this is, this is mess, but it brings back a memory. We have a New Year's Eve party every New Year's Eve, and we pop those poppers, right? So they're all stuck back here. More mess, I'm sure. Ooh, dog hair and lint. <laughs> Ugh. But you know what? I would never know what is under the cushions in my chair if I hadn't taken time to flip it. So we'll just flip the cushion and let you all see the mess that's under the Groff cushions. What's crazy is I didn't know that stuff was there until I took the time and looked beneath the cushions. A lot of us live lives that are represented by this chair. We try to make ourselves look so pretty and so good on the outside. We come to church every Sunday, we walk through the doors, we go back to the cafe maybe, we grab a drink and a cookie, we smile, we might shake a hand with one another, and then we look pretty put together, we come into this space, and we sit down with other people that look pretty well put together too. And it's not just Sundays where we look good. We look good on Twitter, we look good on Instagram, we look good on Facebook. We are a well-put-together people. Our families are put together. We look awesome. We're doing great. Woohoo! Life is good because we look good. But the reality is that we are very much like this chair. Deep down inside, there's something inside each and every one of us that is messy. And oh, we have gotten so good at pushing that stuff down inside the chair so nobody can see it. Or we find ways to cope with our messiness and pretend it's not there. The junk that's below the surface, nobody can see. This is a scary thing for the church. When the church, when you and me live in a space of covering up our stains, covering up our mess, we're telling a lie to others. And what happens is sometimes people come into our room, come into our church that might look a bit different. They might have a stain that others can see. They might look a little disheveled or a little bit messy. And they come to a setting like this and they can be intimidated because they think they're the only ones that look like them. But that's not true. We are all a community and we all walk with a limp. And community that is built on what is fake and inauthentic is not community at all. Real community is understanding this is who we are, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and there is freedom in knowing that we are a mess first and foremost. 
Romans 3.10 tells us that we are all in the same boat. There is no one righteous, not even one. And I think when Paul said, no one, not even one, he was thinking about you and me. We are all standing guilty before God. We all need to accept that our sins separate us from God. We are all guilty. You might be surprised to know that everybody in this room, everybody watching online is dealing with a great deal of hurt including the girl that you're looking at. Deep down inside the cushions, there's a mess, right? Deep down on the inside, many of us are hurting. Many of us are in pain. And maybe your closest friends don't even know it. Maybe your husband or your wife doesn't even know it. Many of us are not free because we're held captive to the past. Being held captive to our past is like that old couch that you just can't get rid of. And you keep reliving the mess over and over again. I need you to hear me today. If you're living in that place of being unable to get rid of your past, you're never going to be able to grab a hold of what God has for your future. And the great news is that Jesus has words of hope for us, freedom. He died on the cross, suffered a brutal death, and rose from the dead so that we could live in freedom, not in bondage to our past. And for many of us today, God wants to flip the couch. He wants to flip the cushion, bring up things that you've put away, and ask you to embrace forgiveness and freedom from those sins, from that mess. Let's pray together before we unpack what Jesus has to say about forgiveness. Lord, we come to you knowing that we all look a bit like these couch cushions. We all have hurts, past or present, that we desperately need your grace to take away. Meet us here and free us from our messes. In your name I pray, amen. There are some cool stories in the Bible about God's forgiveness. And the story that we're going to look at today is a story where Jesus flipped the cushions on a woman in the Bible. And her cushions have just been flipped for all to see. This story is from John chapter 8, so let's move from the couch to the temple courts as we read this story. So imagine this scene. Some religious leaders are bringing an accused woman before Jesus, and Jesus is going to act as both both the defense attorney and the judge in this story. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people were gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. Picture this scene. This woman's mess has just been exposed for all to see. And she's standing in front of her accusers. She's standing in front of a crowd. But she's also standing in front of Jesus. 
At this point, <laughs> you might be asking, where is the man? Right? If this was an act of adultery, there's at least two people involved. And they only bring the woman. So where's the man? And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say, Jesus? So, so far, they're right, except for not bringing the man. The law of Moses does say in Deuteronomy 22:22, if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. So Jesus, what do you say? The religious leaders had been working on this plan for a while. Imagine, they would have needed to follow this woman for days, weeks, maybe longer to determine her patterns, her frequency with this man. And the reason the man wasn't brought with the woman could be because he was in on the plan. And this woman is a means to an end to trap Jesus. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They were bringing this woman to Jesus to catch him in a difficult situation in front of all the people. Verse 6. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. You see, if Jesus answered, stone her, then that would seem to go against everything Jesus was teaching and doing up to this point. Now, that wouldn't be right. And if he said, no, don't stone her, then he would be appearing to disobey the law of Moses, and the law is the law, and Jesus ought to be teaching the law. So what is Jesus going to say? (laughs) These cunning hypocrites were so overmatched. Remember, Jesus came to bring a new law, a law of love and a law of mercy and a law of forgiveness. And what happens next is so incredibly great. But Jesus, he bent down and he started to write in the dirt. Can you picture this? The leaders thought they had him. They've rehearsed this question, Jesus, what do you say? And here they are. They thought they had him. It's the moment they've been waiting for. Jesus stoops and doodles in the dirt. They were probably gleefully anticipating that Jesus would stumble. But instead, it appears he's ignoring them. I can't imagine this plan, this big aha moment that they were all waiting for. And Jesus just stoops and writes in the dirt. So they weren't happy with that response. And the Bible says they kept probing. And then Jesus says something incredibly beautiful. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin, 
be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and started writing in the dirt. And then something very unexpected happens. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Who else is fascinated by this? What was Jesus doodling? What did he write on the ground that sent the leaders and the people scattering away? This is a big question for scholars. And scholars much more brilliant than me have been working to try and solve this so many times for so long. There's many theories out there. Maybe Jesus was just drawing stick figures because he was thinking, seriously? This is hardly worth my time, guys. Maybe he was writing a Bible verse. Who knows what Bible verse? He knew many of them. Maybe he was writing a Bible verse in the dirt. Or maybe the most interesting, and I don't know because it's a speculation, but perhaps Jesus started writing down the names of the people who were standing in the crowd, holding that stone, waiting to throw it at the woman who has just had her cushions turned and her mess exposed. I mean, they thought they had dirt on her. But Jesus, maybe he was saying, oh, wait, I know some things too. You want to talk about dirt? Matt, last Saturday, lust. And he draws a line to Tom's wife. Matt sees his name, sees his sin written in the dirt, and he stands up and he starts walking away. And Tom follows close behind Matt, and they stop and talk down the road because, oh, Tom's got that stone. Or maybe Jesus wrote Laura. 2004 senior prom Ford Taurus. And Laura sees her name and sees her sin sees her mess, and she slowly slinks into the shadows and begins her walk back home. And you know what it says, the older ones left first? Why? Maybe because they had the longest list, a little more dirt under the cushions. Because we all have dirt under the cushions. This is a fascinating story on so many levels, but what I keep coming back to is our tendency to think that we need to come to Jesus with our best, and then he'll forgive us. But that isn't the case for the woman in our story. Perhaps just 30 minutes earlier, she was literally sleeping with another woman's husband. 30 minutes earlier, she had no idea that she'd be in this place with the dirt under her cushions exposed for all to see. 
And now she's been drugged in front of Jesus. She was not planning on her life changing. She was not planning on staring into the eyes of her loving Savior. And she hasn't even said a word yet. No rebuttal, no confession. Jesus has just broken into her life in a way completely unexpected. And he's going to offer her something Great. If you're here today and you're carrying a heavy load of sin or shame or regret, the messy parts in your life that you've been hiding or you've been carrying alone, I want to tell you that Jesus came to flip the cushions in your life and he has something for you. He says, I have something better. I have something better. I have something better. Forgiveness. The crowd has gone. Jesus straightens up and asks her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. The only one that had the ability to hold a rock dropped the rock. Woman, I didn't come to condemn you. I came to save you. I didn't come to declare you guilty. I came to set you free. And Jesus didn't just come for this woman. He came for us. He says, Joe, Susan, Matt, Steve, Hillary, Tom, Laura, Dawn, I didn't come to condemn you. I came to set you free. I didn't come to say you were guilty. I came to say you're forgiven. Most people know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But look at the next verse, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This woman's couch cushions just got flipped for all to see. And Jesus said, I can take that mess. I'm declaring you free. The jury is gone now. All your naysayers have gone away. It's just you and me. And I love it when my naysayers are gone and it's just me and Jesus. He's my defense attorney. He's declaring me forgiven, set free, innocent, and he's telling me to go and sin no more. I love to hear the Savior's voice say that I am forgiven. Dwight L. Moody says this about God's forgiveness, and we know this. The voice of sin is loud, but know that the voice of forgiveness is louder. Friends, the enemy loves to shout accusations at you. He will throw his rocks. He will remind you of what you did or what you didn't do, what you said or what you didn't say. And he will remind you, remind you, remind you 
that you are no good, that you are used goods, that no one loves you, that God could never love you, but those are all lies. One of the biggest problems we have is that we listen to those lies and accusations of the enemy more than we listen to the truth of what the gospel says. That Jesus came to save us, not to condemn us, and we relive and replay those words in our, and those stories in our lives. It's like they're on repeat and replay. Our addiction our bad habit, the ways we failed someone. Jesus wants to free us from what Satan holds us in bondage for. I want you to know, the next time when accusations start flying about how dirty you are, about how messed up you are, just go to the devil and say, yes, I've messed up. But God got down in the dirt, he forgave my sins, he wiped my past clean, and he didn't condemn me. He didn't come to the world to condemn the world, he came to change the world, save the world. So devil, you have to drop your rock. I am forgiven, and I am loved. There is mercy in the dirt. Jesus has already conquered the devil. Jesus walks into your courtroom. He's the defense attorney, and God is the judge. Jesus says your name. God says your name. Jesus Christ says not guilty. Jesus Christ says free. So it doesn't matter what you've done, because if you know Jesus, you are not guilty. Jesus was not afraid to get in the dirt for this woman, and he wasn't afraid to get dirty for you when he went to the cross and his arms stretched wide and he said, I love you this much. His shed blood for you on the cross was the penalty he needed to pay for our freedom and for our forgiveness. So maybe today... Maybe you feel like the woman from our story whose couch cushions have just been flipped and your mess is apparent for everyone to see. God says, you are my child. He says, you are forgiven. You are not washed up. You are not used goods. You can have a new life in me. Or perhaps you're like the Pharisee today and you look pretty good but your heart is not in the right place. Your life looks put together, but deep inside your heart is off. You're guilty too. But Jesus' grace also covers you. It's important to know the right person in the courtroom. We know the defense attorney, and the defense attorney knows the judge. You are free, you are forgiven, So go and sin no more. So if Jesus Christ says we're free, we can believe that and we can leave our sin. And here are a few suggestions. Tips for leaving your sin behind. Name the sin and confess it to God. That's first. 
Maybe you need someone to help you do that. We want to be there for you in that time. Avoid situations and places where you are tempted to sin. If you're an alcoholic, don't go to the bar. If you struggle with pornography, make sure that you put blocks and filters on those types of sites so you can't view them. Next, find an accountability partner to walk this journey with you. Occupy yourself with other work or hobbies. Focus on God's word. Trust in God. He wants you to succeed. Tips for leaving your sin behind. Go and sin no more. As we continue to put Jesus' words into practice through this red-letter challenge, we want to be here for one another. We want to be open to how God is moving amongst our groups and amongst our families and in our lives. This is a safe place of other messy people. You're not alone. So I'm just going to invite you today to flip the cushion. Let your mess be gone. Address your mess and let your church family walk with you. So if you thought you were alone, you're not. If you thought this was a church of perfect people, it's not. But we are a forgiven people. If you want God's grace, you can have it. In just a minute, I'm going to pray for you, and I invite you, don't hold your pain alone. I will be back in a corner. I have some wonderfully caring members and friends of Crossroads who will be back there with me. If you'd like to bring your mess today and receive prayer, we would love to walk with you and do that with you today. Being vulnerable is an act of courage. So let your mess be your message. Let your test be your testimony. The sermon action point is so simple, and it's just between you and God. John 8, 11, go now and leave your life of sin, Jesus says. So what action will I take on a daily basis to keep from falling into old habits? Let's pray together. Father God, you are a good, good father. And you say, come. Thank you for loving us even when our messiness separates us from you. We want to be washed clean and forgiven today. Help us boldly surrender our sin and embrace your forgiveness. Draw us closer to you as a church and closer to you as a people who just want to do it better. And God, give us strength for each day as we determine to walk in freedom and forgiveness. In your precious name I pray, amen. Thanks again for listening. Any step you take towards Jesus is a step in the right direction. You can find out more about us at crbic.org. That's crbic.org.